So it's great to aspire to be a transformational coach, but when the rubber hits the road, when we get into the heat of the season, we can easily lose our way. When we are facing a season of, of losing games, when players seem resistant to change or have put up walls to the relationships that we're trying to build with them, it's very easy for us to fall back into old school methods of coaching, transactional coaching. Now, none of us are perfect, but our guest today, uh, AIC hockey coach Eric Lang, is as good of an example as any in coaching today of someone who has had the courage to lead with love in tough situations, to be intentional in his coaching. You're gonna be inspired by today's conversation as well as walk away with some really good ideas. Welcome back to the Coaching Culture Podcast. If you are a new listener, I'm JP Nurbin, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Nate Sanderson. Every week, we share with you our conversations and learnings around practical ways to grow as a leader and to improve our team's culture. If you want to get the notes to this and every episode of the podcast, go on over to tocculture.com and subscribe to our weekly newsletter. Also, there you can learn more about TOC, our online courses, and one-on-one coaching program for coaches. If you enjoy today's episode, I know as well that you're gonna love my latest book, The Culture System. So much of the principles and practical ways to build culture that Eric shares align with what I share in the book. All right, let's get right into our conversation with Eric. I wanna, I don't know if this bridges into something I really am very curious about after, you know, just doing some reading and some, some research here. You've used a phrase, radical transparency. And I think one of the, the hardest challenges for coaches, and I mean, we've talked about this with all the coaches that JP and I work with here. I would say overwhelmingly, you know, the number one struggle for coaches is just being honest about playing time and making playing time decisions. And how do you explain that to parents? And how do you explain that to kids? And, you know, the thing that we've tried to encourage as much as possible is just more communication. But I've listened to you talk a little bit more about radical transparency and doing that collectively rather than just with an individual, rather than just pulling Eric aside and saying, here's where you're at right now. Here's what you need to do to, you know, give yourself a better chance to get some more time or what have you. Can you just unpack a little bit about, you know, kind of how you got to this point of, of doing it differently? First of all, what it looks like for your team and kind of the philosophy behind it. I always say like, even in terms of being accountable, as coaches, we have to be able to admit that we have made some mistakes. And um, I have no problem getting in front of our group and saying, hey, I let you down in this area. We thought this was going to work. I didn't prepare us as best as I can in this situation. And I am going to own that. And I think as a leader, if you can get in front of your group and and have some real ownership um, when 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 you make a decision in an area and it doesn't go well. I think it allows for this open transparency. And I always lead with, um, this is a learning opportunity. And whether uh, whether we're gonna hold a guy accountable, I want the room to hear the why. Because what we're trying to do is not have it happen again. And I think we have a, I think it's a little bit of a, initial shock to our younger players like you're a freshman in this program and here we are collectively talking about an incident that maybe they were involved with 
and or um, and we're just saying, hey, and, and sometimes we'll give some top cover to the player. You know, so and so, you know, had some regret in this area. We had a good conversation about it. Here's how we're going to do this moving forward. And we've got 28 guys in the room. And I don't want to leave any stone uncovered in terms of making sure that our messaging is clear. And the best way for our message to be clear is to have everybody hear it. And it's it's a little bit different. We, we tell guys, hey, this isn't, we don't want you to, it's, it's almost like when you show up in video, we say, hey, this is not personal. We don't want anyone taking this uh, video clip personally. This is for the betterment of the group. This is so we all get better. And guess what? Every one of you guys is going to show up in video this year. So be it. But this is how we're going to get better. And a lot of what we do is in a is in an open environment. And um, and I, I want I, I suspended myself from a video session last year because I was incredibly negative during the entire we did a video session. I didn't like the way we play. I felt better that I whipped my team in video. And then I had this tremendous guilt over me after the video session. I showed up to practice next day. These guys think I'm crazy. And I said, hey, I have uh, imposed a one video suspension on myself because that's not how I want our team. If, if we want a positive team first kind of atmosphere, it starts with me. And, and the last the last thing I was was positive. You know, they're all clapping it up and they think it's great. And I've got a one game video suspension. But I, I think having a, a level of humility with yourself as a leader and being able to say, hey, you know what, I'm not perfect and I'm going to hold myself accountable. I think it makes our guys easy to have that ownership with the, with, with each other, you know, and, and I think that's incredibly important. What I think you're doing in that is you're normalizing mistakes. You're normalizing that nobody's perfect um, and that accountability comes both ways. I love this open transparency to be able to talk about things because I, I do get a lot of pushback from some coaches when I do encourage them to have more of these open conversations. I think oftentimes they're, they're afraid of embarrassing a certain player. Have you ever experienced any of that? And if you had, how, how have you worked through that? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's the lead in, which is really important. And I think doing some deflecting and saying, um, you know, Hey JP, I need to do a better job of explaining how I want you to perform in this situation. So I'm going to, I'm going to own a little bit of that. However, I need, I need a little more second and third effort on this play. And, and I'm, I'm going to do it. I think just a little self-deflection and a lead in and, and how you phrase things and how you talk to people um, it is incredibly important. If, 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 you know, if I've got a piece of paper on the floor and someone says, God damn it, go pick that piece of paper up. I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it with a little bit of like, are you kidding me? But if someone walked by and said, hey, Eric, I'm sorry, there's a little piece of paper on the floor. You mind throwing that out on your way out? I think it's the same exact thing. So why wouldn't we do it in, in a way where we, we it feels OK, you know, and it's not a, you know. It's kind of like leadership is not a. It's not a rank. You know, leadership is is connecting people and making sure that, that we get them, uh, we, we can motivate and inspire them to, to do things that maybe they thought they couldn't do. And I think the approach, especially in 2023, where we have to provide players with the why, 
It used to be a coach 30 years ago said jump and, and your response was how high. And, and I think today's day and age, when you tell a player to jump, they, they, they want to know why. And that's okay. That's our job. I love how you're talking about intentionality and the language that you use. Uh, there's something I remember hearing you talk about um, before, which was you don't, in drills, you, you play to a standard, not to a time. And, and I wonder if you could explain that, but also what that looks like in that moment when you have to enforce that standard within a drill. This, this, this is a good week for this podcast because Monday we had our personal investment Monday. So we had all of our forwards out there and it was one of those Mondays and maybe because New Year's Eve was, was Saturday night, maybe there was a little layover into our Monday skate. Um, Monday was not a great day here. And before yesterday's fun you know, world championship three-on-three tournament we had, we made our forwards redo the Monday practice. Every drill we did on Monday did not meet the standard. It's almost like a makeup assignment homework. It's like the teacher gives it back to you and says, hey, correct questions seven, eight, nine, and 10 that you got wrong. Well, yesterday we redid our practice from Monday. We didn't meet the standard. And it wasn't a big rah-rah speech. It was, hey, guys, um, if I don't hold us accountable to Monday's practice, I'm letting you down. And so what we're going to do here today is before we before we get to our three on three tournament, we're going to we're going to redo Monday's practice to a standard that we all should hold ourselves to. Bingo. Stop. We had a 25 minutes and we just redid it. We just redid it. Didn't meet the standard. We're going to redo it. And I think as coaches. If we start to get in the habit of practicing to time, I've got nine minutes for this drill, and then I've got 10 minutes for that drill. Um, it's almost like if you can't add two plus two, I can't expect you to multiply five times four. So we're going to master two plus two, and then we're going to master multiplication. And it, it really allows us to grow. And like we, we use this term when we first got here. It's a military term from, from West Point. Crawl, walk, run. And it's a great outlook and how to approach your season. Um, crawl, walk, run. And I, I think our program today is in a, a walk phase of where we are in the season. We're not, quite, we're not quite where we need to be, but we're no longer crawling. We're up and we're walking. And now we've got to continue to re-raise the standard and push and push and push so that we can get this thing up to a point where we are running. And I, one of the things I think, just to follow up on that too, thinking about my own team and geez, if we went back and redid the, you know, practice plan from yesterday or coaching filming film session or something like that. How do you make sure that there's no confusion about the standard? I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, younger players coming in their first year as a freshman and you're saying, Hey, yesterday's practice wasn't where it needs to be. And I could imagine some of my players thinking, what, what do you, I don't, I don't know what we didn't do correctly. How do you make sure that everybody is on board with exactly what's expected in that regard? It's kind of funny because I think for us coaches, it's very subjective. We walk in after practice and we, we actually, uh, we, we did this, we started doing this um, about a month ago. We'll give everybody a numerical grade in terms of how we thought, how hard we thought they work. So you get one, two, three, four or five. 
and we did it for two straight weeks. And we want to just collect some data on who we think practices hard and maybe guys that, but it's incredibly subjective. And we sat around the round table and it, it's hard to get right. But I think ultimately the players know there's a lot of times where I don't like the way we practice and I will get confirmation though from our leaders, from our older players before I move forward. And it's a simple conversation. How were we yesterday? What did you think about yesterday's practice? And they can affirm or confirm what we may be thought coming off the ice. But a lot of it is, it just can't be us. And um, we play a lousy period of hockey and we're down one nothing or 2 nothing. I'll just simply come in and say, hey, do we meet our standard? We meet our own standard here that period. And 20 guys shake their head no. Now we can move on. And there, there doesn't have to be a lot to it other than to get the group to agree to that's not the standard here for AIC hockey. And, you know, it's, again, it, it, it comes down to sometimes you just have to hit the reset button with a drill. Drill is not going. I don't like to stop practice. I like to tend to have our players figure out or work through it because in the game, you don't get to blow the whistle and, and, and reset. But sometimes, you know, we get off to a slow start in a drill. I'll just blow the whistle and I will go up on the board and redraw the same drill and pretend the last seven minutes didn't happen. Hey, this is how we're going to start practice today. And they're looking around like we just did this. It's kind of like, let's reset. And let's get this thing right. And we're not going to practice to time. We're going to practice until we, we're masterful in this drill. I think what you're sharing is it should be so inspiring for coaches because you're choosing to overcome the obstacles that often are internal. Like, so, so a coach might think, oh, I got to get this done in practice. Or, you know, we can't redo the, the you know, the Monday's practice. We got we to gotta move on to prepare for Friday's game. Right. But you come back to like what's most important. Like, and I think, you know, that's such great inspiration uh, for coaches. I, I guess I have this other little, little question, you know, which is accountability and holding players accountable, you know, to, to the standard. It's good. It works. But we really, at the end of the day, we want them to work hard, give second and third effort, you know, have good body language because that's what's in their character. You know, that's become who they become. It's because they, it's, that's what they want to do. Right. How do you motivate your team? I think motivating and, and inspiring is the toughest form of leadership. Because if you can get to that level of leadership, you really eliminate a lot of problems. But it's the toughest form. Like there's guys you can lead by taking charge. You can lead by holding others accountable. You can lead by encouraging a cheerleader, supporting. You can lead by example, which maybe is the easiest form of leadership because you only have to focus on yourself. But to lead by motivating and inspiring, to get to that point of leadership, in my opinion, is, is the toughest form. And that's what we should all aspire to, to be is, is motivate and inspire so that I don't have to stop a drill or motivate and inspire that we, we're not taking steps backwards. Um, it's really, it's easy to say, and, and it's incredibly hard to get to that level of leadership. And then more importantly, it's incredibly hard to sustain it. And I think that's why you see like in the pro game, you know, you say, you know, you hear, um, you know, they're, they're 
he's a great coach, but we need to change. They're tired of his voice. And um, it, it's, it's really, really hard. And I think it's even harder in, in this era of coaching where our players are, it's social media, it's immediate uh, information back to them. It, it, it's challenging. It's very challenging to coach in 2023 because at the end of the day, if my players don't like a drill that I did, they can Google power play drills and 50 of them will come up on the internet that they think are better than mine. Back in the day, you know, when I, when we were, you know, when I was practicing here at AIC and, and working and, and playing under Gary Wright, who's a, a great leader, who was here for 34 years, one, another one of my great mentors, we didn't have that. We just, here's the drill. It was a great drill. And I, I, I think we're, we're in, a, in an era where our players really need the why. And I would say, like, we have to use our time to be incredibly efficient with their time. We used to wait for the newspaper a day later to read yesterday's news. They're, this 2023 is, they get news on a conveyor belt. Instagram, Twitter, whatever it might be, it's constantly coming at them. And um, I, I think those are one of the, uh, an incredible obstacle here in 2023 is to coach this player that has grown up with a cell phone in their hand. <clears throat> and I think sometimes as coaches, we still take that as a little bit of being disrespectful. They don't know any other way. This is their way of communicating, you know, and, you know, we, we, we're used to old school phone calls and like my guys want to text. They want to text back and forth. It makes it there's comfort in text messaging. I want to talk. I would rather look you in the eye. But if they're comfortable texting, I have to I have to adapt to them and what makes them comfortable. If that makes any sense. Well, I think it definitely does. You know, and you, you've coached plenty of international players and there's a big difference between speaking someone's native language and their second language. And for our players the cell phone is their native language so to speak and we have to find ways to be able to converse that way for sure um i want to push on you just a little bit with that too because i think with coaches you know jp and i kind of being in an industry and talking to coaches in all backgrounds and at all levels we hear lots and lots of similar descriptions of kids these days and the challenges of you know the cell phones and social media do you see any positives about you know this generation and the way that kids are these days compared to when all we had to do was say jump and they said how high they they did it because i think too often we sometimes just get distracted with it's harder for us but i think there are some advantages there you know in terms of kids being more empowered or things like that i'm, I'm just curious as to your perspective on that i think if you look at the the, the level of athlete hockey basketball football baseball we we, we have taken exponential jumps in terms of like watching some of the greatest athletes we have ever seen. And these athletes are athletes that have grown up in the cell phone era. I think the one thing that all of this information, and sometimes it could be information overload, but a lot of this information they are able to achieve is if you want to be great, if you want to make a choice to be great, you can, you can build a nutrition plan, a weightlifting plan, a skill development plan, and you can do it in about three and a half minutes right on your cell phone. 
and you didn't have to wait for the coach on Tuesday night to run you through some drills. Like if you want to be great right now, there's a lot of means to get to that, to get to that point. And like, you know, I've got an 11 year old, um, all my kids play hockey and my, my 11 year old has really taken to it. And he will, we, we have zero conversations about hockey in the car. When I show up to the, to the rink to watch him play, I am his parent. And it's really hard. I want to have some conversations. It's really, really hard, but I'm very disciplined. And in fact, if he asks, he's going to get, but I'm not going to give him system overload in terms of how I interpret how he needs to be working at his craft. Um, and, and if you love what you do and you're passionate about what you do, there are a lot of means to become great right now. And maybe that, maybe that wasn't the case. There's more hockey rinks in the United States than there ever was before. I used to take a, two buses. I grew up in New York City. There's not a lot of hockey rinks in the late 80s and early 90s in New York City. I used to take two buses to get to a practice. There's, you know, I, I look now, there's, you know, three or four hockey rinks within 15 miles of, of where I grew up. Things have changed. There's a lot of opportunity and there's a lot of access. And if you want to be great, it's right there in front of you. I, I love that. I, I think uh, it's the same for us as coaches, right? We we have the opportunity to improve, you know, like we used to have to drive hours to go listen to some coach. Now you just hop on Zoom or listen to this podcast right here. I, w- one thing I love about you, Eric, is, you know, not just your intentionality, but your I would say the word courage comes to mind. Like you have the courage to make hard decisions, to do hard things, to not, you know, come into AIC and say, hey, we're going to do things vastly different. And I'm wondering in this, in this seven year time that you've been at AIC, what has been a really hard decision that you've had to make that has benefited the culture to this point? It's a great question. We, the, the year of our first championship, we are playing Army in a best two out of three series. There's a rule in college hockey. If you receive three game misconducts, you are ineligible for the following game. We had one of our captains and one of our best players, Joel Kosher was his name. Great leader, great kid, great family. He received his third game misconduct in game two of the series. So the series is now 1-1. And he has received his third game misconduct. And it was an oversight by our league where they, they, they had only had him documented for two game misconducts. I knew he had three. And I had to call our league commissioner and say, um, Commish, uh, Joel Kosher is, is ineligible for tomorrow's game. This was his third misconduct yesterday. And we were going, we were about to play a game that was about to end our season without one of our top players. But what's right is right. And if I had played Joel Kosher in that game and we had won, um, it it beyond it not feeling right, it's like the messaging to my team. I don't think I can recover from something like that. It's almost like you tell your kids not to lie, don't lie, don't lie. And then it's like under 12 is free to get in a movie theater. And I tell my daughter, hey, you're 10 years old, but I know she's 13. It doesn't, it doesn't add up. And 
that that was one and I really have to think about it, but that was one that, that kind of jumped right out at me is the ability to um, it's right or wrong. And playing Joel Kosher in that game three was the wrong thing to do. That's incredibly powerful. I mean, there's obviously a lot of pressure on coaches to win and I'm sure you're feeling all that, but you chose the right thing. And so often the right thing and the hard thing are the same thing. Um, coaching's hard. I, I think it's, you know, a lot of college coaches that I talk to, even high school coaches, we can complain a lot. Uh, the weight of coaching, you know, has become even more. I mean, there's a lot of talk around mental health with athletes, but it's I think it's become even more and more challenging for us as as coaches and, and more of a, a needed uh, discussion. I'm just curious in your own coaching journey here, like what what's difficult? What weighs on you? You know, what makes it hard to do the job of a transformational coach in 2023? None of my worries are ever on the ice. None of my worries are what's going to happen when we play Cornell or UMass or, or some of the better teams in the country. A, a, a lot of the worry and anxiety I think we have as coaches is what is happening Saturday night when we're not around. And for us, hockey's an older sport by nature. They show up on campus. For the most part, most of them are 20 or 21 years old. So they have the ability to legally drink. And what do those decisions look like on a Saturday night? What are those, you know, are we, are we drinking and driving? Are we putting ourselves in compromising positions? Um, that, that Sunday morning, when you can get till mid-morning, and your phone hasn't rang, either from your athletic director or a player, or um, that that that's the I think that is the is the most anxious part of what we do is not being able to control what goes on away from the rink. And I think it is our job as leaders is to make sure we 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 talk about this. I will leave every weekend. The last thing I will say to my players, win or lose is nobody gets left behind tonight. And it's just code for we're here for one another and we're not perfect. Someone's going to make a bad decision. And how is our group going to um, make sure we don't drink and drive? Make sure when it's time to get somebody away from a situation that we have the courage to do so. <clears throat> I have left with that. Nobody gets left behind after every last game of every weekend. And I hope our players live that on the Saturday nights. And, and I have to tell our guys, I, I expect them to have fun. This is college. I want this to be the greatest four years of your life. And inside of that comes real adult responsibility and incredible decision-making. And um, we, we really need to lean on each other. And I, the easy thing for me to do is to not bring that up and close my eyes to it and say, my guys aren't out on a Saturday night and they're not having a couple beers. Um, but that's not the reality of it. I'd rather be ahead of it. And I tell our guys, I need to be the first to know. I need whatever happens. I need to be the first to know. I am your first phone call. And that is judge-free and it, it, it's collectively, how can I help you inside of that situation? And I, and I would want that. Um, and, and I have to hold that up to the parents who we have players from Finland, Sweden, uh, Western Canada. 
We have players from all over the world that have entrusted us with their sons. And um, they, they're also trusting us to, to help make decisions for them that maybe they can't help them make inside of a situation. I need to be the first to know. I think our players have done an incredible job with that over my seven years of saying, hey, coach, I effed up this weekend. Here's what happened. Now we can go from there. And I think our players have been incredibly honest with us inside of those situations. Help me help you. If I know exactly what happened, we're, we're going to, obviously there'll be some accountability for it, but now we can move forward. And I think that, again, I think that's one of the most important things we do is, is, is teaching our guys how to react to situations away from the rink. I think what's so powerful about that too is that it's a reflection of all of these other values that we've talked about throughout this episode. You know, it's a it's it's a portrayal of that relationship that matters off of the ice. It's guys taking care of each other, you know, and holding each other to a standard. And so the consistency through through that into their their everyday life, you know, or into the decisions that they have to make at that stage of life. I just think it's um it's just powerful, you know, and part of that great experience knowing that your your guys are there for each other. Eric, I want to get you out of here on three quick ones. I know we're running short on time here, but there's three things I want to touch on really quickly <laughs> here. Number one, you've got an interesting background in that before you were the head men's coach at AIC, you were a head women's hockey coach prior to that. And I wonder just what that experience taught you, what you've taken from that into your coaching today. Probably the, here's what I know. There's no, coaching is coaching. Whether I coached women's hockey or men's hockey, the, the women, some of the most competitive, combative players, hardworking players I've ever coached are some of my female players that I had at Manhattanville. And they didn't want to win or lose any less than a Division I athlete. And I really, the, the one area that coaching uh, women's hockey has helped me grow in its level of communication and the and and the women's hockey players that I coached they wanted the why long before this 2023 student athlete that we you know we, we talked about earlier you know they, they need to know why we're doing things well well our women hockey players were they're curious learners and I had to be a, a real diligent communicator with them and I remember when I took that job, it was an interesting process. Um, they had a few players on the, the hiring committee. And one thing I will never forget is a player saying, we don't want to be coached any differently. And for me, coaching is coaching. I think you can take a great coach that doesn't know how to swim. And I think he can recruit to and, and build a great, a great swimming team. And I think we see it. I think we see it a lot in our in in multiple industries, but you don't you don't have to be an have an expert playing level to become a an expert in your field or, or a great coach. In fact, there's a lot of great coaches that that didn't play. And um, but my, that the time at Manhattanville um, really helped stabilize to to where I've grown to as a coach, and you and you have to be a great communicator. Here's my second one. Um... Whenever you have success in a smaller school, there's bound to be opportunities to go somewhere else or to move up the ladder. And I'm not going to get into your ambitions or anything like that. We're not going to 
<laughs> get a hot take here on the year of longevity at AIC. But a lot of our coaches, you know, that JP and I have worked with, they go through, you know, opportunities and how to think through when is it time to consider, you know, making a change. And you've made a couple from being an assistant to, you know, being a head coach at a couple different places. I'm just curious, how do you think about or process opportunities, you know, in the coaching profession? I haven't closed any doors here in the, in the seven years that, that I have been here. Um, I've had plenty of opportunity to leave here um, to, in theory, maybe a bigger Division One program. I've had opportunity to leave here for professional opportunity. Um, this is my alma mater. This is, I, I, I still, we, we've had really, really good success here. In fact, great success on, on a lot of levels. I still feel like we've got some unfinished business here. And, and things are tougher now than they were seven years ago. Transfer portal, um, NIL money, um, the richer getting richer. Working and being at AIC, and we've been a top 20 team in the country. We've won as many hockey games over the last five years as any team in the country. It's becoming more and more difficult because of things that, that were just mentioned. Um, I love this place. I love everything that AIC stands for. And I've always stayed really grounded to my roots here. And right now for me, coaching the AIC uh, men's hockey team is the most important, best job in the world. And I'll never take it for granted. And um, that, that, you know, I've had that one a lot. I'm here. I love it here. And um, I'm lucky to be here. I appreciate that. Let me get you out of here on this one. I took my high school girls basketball team to a hockey game last week. It's one of the things that we do over winter break for fun. And uh, in this game, the first period, the home team got ahead three to nothing. We had three major fights in the game and then another at least another half dozen dust ups where sometimes the officials let it go and sometimes they get in there and, you know, everybody kind of gets in a scrum and they pull each other apart. So for our audience that's not as familiar with hockey, what mm -hmm. are the unwritten rules about fighting in hockey? It's, it's really becoming less and less in terms of what's acceptable, um, especially at the NHL level. However, there is a code of conduct and um, it's not always an eye for an eye, but our sport has had an incredible way to hold you accountable on the ice for actions that are not perceived to be as acceptable. So if you want to run around and play like a knucklehead, um, you are going to have to answer to that by somebody on the ice. And that is one of the beauties of our sport is that um, our opponents and each other can hold each other accountable on the ice. And that has drifted a little bit away from our sport. Um, I think there's a, a, a bigger onus on skill and making plays. And, you know, each team used to have an enforcer back in the day, and, and he kept you honest. Um, that is kind of – it's not obsolete, but it's certainly less than it was. And um, there's a 
there's a great book. I think it's called Code of Conduct on on you know who you fight and how you fight. Um, you don't fight a guy when he's tired. You don't fight a guy that's smaller than you. And there's kind of all of these great unwritten rules. I think all of I think a lot of you know a lot of our sports do have those unwritten rules, and I I think they're kind of neat. I love that. I appreciate that. Um, this has been a great conversation and, and you've managed to do it in season, which just says a lot about you. Uh, one thing I'll just share with you as a takeaway, you know, I could ask a lot of college coaches in the States in America today, like what's the hardest thing. And they might talk about, you know, the money going into college athletics, the players, they might talk about the transfer portal, but you came back to the safety and the well-being of your players. And it just shows where your heart's at as a transformational leader, like that weighs on you the most, um, that left an impact on me. And I know it's going to impact all the pro college and high school coaches that listen to this podcast. So thanks for spending time with us in season, man. JP, Nate, this was great. And, uh, coach Riley is going to be on deck. You may not want to go with a couple of hockey guys back to back, but, um, one of the best in the business and um, we will all get better listening to, to Brian Riley here. So I, I definitely want to set that up and make that happen. Big fan of what you guys are doing and uh, looking forward to that book, JP. Okay. A huge thanks to Eric Lang for coming on the podcast. I'll be honest. I kind of felt bad asking him in the middle of his season to come on, come on. Uh, but I couldn't wait. I was too excited to bring him on and he was kind enough to make time for us uh, to, to share Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and review this podcast. Also, subscribe to our newsletter at tocculture.com to get the notes to this podcast in the first chapter of my book, The Culture System. Thanks for listening in.